Friends, as we go to God's word, let us pray. Holy triune God, we thank you for your word. Your word made flesh and Christ and your word in scripture. As we come to hear your word today, send your spirit to open our hearts and minds that we may hear your word with joy. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and redeemer. Amen. Now hear the word of the Lord from Exodus 20, verses 1 through 17. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth below or on the waters beneath. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the fathers to the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showering love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother so that it may go long in the land of the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his manservant or maidservant, or his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Do not steal. It seems simple enough, right? Don't take other people's things. One of the things that comes to mind for me as I read this commandment is a video that was on every DVD I watched as a kid. You might remember it. There's a teenage girl sitting at her computer downloading a video and then goes through this montage of you wouldn't steal a car, you wouldn't steal a TV, driving at, don't download movies illegally. But the movie is not simply pointing out that stealing data or downloading movies is illegal, though it is, but it also makes the moral assumption that the audience would agree that stealing physical items is bad. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say that we can probably, mostly, hopefully agree to that too. Don't steal people's stuff. Okay, check. This is a lesson that we're taught from the time we're young. Don't take the other child's toy. Don't steal that ball. And as we grow up, we see other ways that people steal. 
identities, credit cards, cars, and since my wife's a librarian, she required me to mention stealing intellectual property, downloading videos illegally, stealing photos from the internet, not citing your sources, or any other things that you can talk to her about later. This is the stealing of physical things that belong to someone else. So, don't steal. Don't take things that aren't yours. Stealing, bad, got it? Good. But you'll have noticed over this series that these commandments are often not as simple as they might seem. And as Stephen has shown, it's not simply a tisk tisk don't do this. In the case of killing and adultery, we see Christ broaden their meaning in the Sermon on the Mount and show how the commandment expands to thought, word, and deed. And this paradigm of expanding the commandment is appropriate here, too. The Heidelberg Catechism, which, as we'll recall, rightly places the Ten Commandments in our response to God, as we focused on being centered and not missing the mark, says of the commandment, Question. What does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? Answer. God forbids not only outright theft and robbery, punishable by law, but in God's sight, theft also includes all scheming and swindling in order to get our neighbor's goods for ourselves, whether by force or means that appear legitimate, such as inaccurate measurements of weight, size, or volume, fraudulent merchandising, counterfeit money, excessive interest, or any other means forbidden by God. In addition, God forbids all greed and pointless squanderings of his gifts. If you want to pull out some of the nuances of that, I'd be happy to do that in the sermon discussion class later. The catechism, though, helps to expand our scope of what it means to not steal to being more than just objects. Because you'll notice the commandment doesn't have an object. It's not, don't steal your neighbor's something or don't steal X. It's simply, do not steal. There are any number of non-physical things that we steal. In fact, the commandments themselves can be viewed in terms of stealing. One, I am the Lord, your God, the only one. Do not steal the glory due to me. Two, do not steal worship and honor from me and give it to other things. Three, do not steal the proper use and honor due to God's name. Do not steal it for your own purposes. Four, do not steal the day of rest for yourself. It is a gift I have given you. Five, do not steal the proper weight of your parents or ignore their impact. Six, do not steal another's life or dignity. Seven, do not steal the right purpose of sex or steal it from its proper place in marriage. Eight, do not steal. Nine, do not steal truth. Ten, avoid a desire to steal, a want of what others have, in a sense, stealing in your heart. And this rewording simply serves to illustrate the many ways that stealing occurs besides people's physical or intellectual property. There are so many other ways that we steal from others. We steal people's rights with laws and approaches that prevent people from doing what they have the right to do or making these rights more complicated. We steal people's voice by minimizing what they think and not hearing them. We steal people's dignity and humanity by acting like others are not made in the image of God. And we steal people's lives through forcing them into slavery 
As we've seen even close to us in Battle Creek, where six people were arrested for trafficking three teenage girls, some of the just 40 million still enslaved around the world. And these other forms of theft begin to demonstrate how this commandment is addressing more than just the act of taking other people's physical items, but doing anything that steals from the well-being of others. The second question on this commandment in the Heidelberg helps us address this. Question, what does God require of you in this commandment? Answer, that I do whatever I can for my neighbor's good, that I treat others as I would like them to treat me, and I work faithfully so that I may share with those in need. The author of the Catechism drives at how this commandment is not just focused on the theft of money or goods, but any harm of the livelihood and means of others. In fact, the wording of this answer has a sort of do-for-others-as-you-would-have-them-do-for-you vibe. And this becomes clear as this commandment is elaborated on in the rest of the law, in the first five books of the Bible, that this is about maintenance of justice and fair dealing and the safekeeping of the goods of another. And this goes beyond just actively harming. This is more than not taking someone else's possession, more than just supporting laws and systems that oppress on the basis of race, sex, or income, more than just actively harming someone's livelihood. This command is about not passively harming others as well. Passively harming. It's kind of an odd phrase. How do you passively harm? How do you hurt by not doing anything? Quite easily, actually. Because what this means is taking care of one another. As Stephen has mentioned, each commandment has a positive and a negative component. There's the tone of the admonishing parent. Don't steal. Don't do that. It's wrong. It's bad. And you'll probably get arrested. But there's also an invitation here. An invitation to be generous. Because the correlation, the positive correlation of do not steal is to be generous to take care of each other, to share what you have for the well-being of others. And this is not an idea that is foreign to us. We saw this a few weeks ago when everyone made sure that Stephen and Caitlin were good to go when baby DeVries sounded the false alarm. But that's easy to do for those we care about, and much harder for those we don't like or possibly don't know. But in the Old Testament, this is clear in the law that this isn't just about our friends or those we like. This is about everyone. In an exposition in the Deuteronomic Code, a passage closely related to the commandments, Scripture states, If you see your fellow Israelites' ox or sheep straying, do not ignore it, but be sure to take it back to its owner. If they do not live near you or you do not know who owns it, Take it home with you and keep it until they come looking for it. Then give it back. Do the same if you find their donkey or ox or cloak or anything else they have lost. Do not ignore it. If you see your fellow Israelites' donkey or ox fallen on the road, do not ignore it. Help the owner get it to its feet. This commandment expands. It's not just take care of your friend's house when they're out of town, but everything. If you see someone in need, help them. 
The law pushes against inaction and passively harming to the point where it requires action. Do not steal becomes do not ignore. Help those in need. And while Jesus didn't mention this commandment in the Sermon on the Mount, as he did adultery and murder, these ideas are ones we see in the Good Samaritan in Luke, where after Jesus confirms the importance of loving God and neighbor, the man answers the question of who, or asks the question of who is the neighbor. If you'd like to read along, this is in Luke chapter 10. In reply, Jesus says, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he saw the man, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, pouring on, excuse me, and he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, And gave them to the innkeeper. Look after them, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was the neighbor for the man who fell into the hands of robber? Jesus asked. The expert in the law replied, The one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. The one who showed mercy on him, says the man who was an expert in the law. If we think about the people who passed by on the other side of the road, you could argue it's not their fault. They aren't the ones who beat the man and stole his clothes, money, dignity, humanity, and possibly his life. They didn't actively harm him, but they were passive They were inactive. They ignored it. The man who helped was the one who saw, who did what the law says, despite not being a Jew, who cared for their neighbor, worked for their betterment, was generous, and didn't steal by caring for him. It was this Samaritan who answered the call for his neighbor, despite not being an Israelite, bound by this law. The Samaritan showed the love of neighbor that the Ten Commandments and all of Scripture points us to. And as with all of these commands, we are pointed towards what St. Augustine called the end of Scripture, love of God and love of neighbor. And in this love of God and neighbor, we are invited to care for one another by not stealing, by being generous, by showing mercy, by going and doing likewise. Even God's people often fail to do this. We see this strongly within the community of God's covenant people, as the prophets speak against the rich and powerful who oppress and rob the poor. The prophet Isaiah decries this, writing, Woe to those who make unjust laws, to those who issue oppressive decrees, to deprive the poor of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people, making widows their prey and robbing the fatherless. Similarly, 
Micah makes the same calls against the powerful, as does the prophet Amos. And the prophets are decrying the abuse of the legal and judicial systems that are being abused by the leaders and the wealthy to oppress the poor and rob them. And we still see this situation today, as those in power use that power and wealth to steal from the poor and oppress. And the way we avoid passively harming in this situation is using our voice and vote and choosing who we vote for and what policies we support carefully to work for justice and not oppression. Because just like stealing isn't about not just taking money or physical items, being generous is about being generous with more than just our money, but with our vote, our time, our words, everything. But this generosity can be terrifying and costly sometimes. And you might be thinking that this law feels a lot more the tisk than the grace. But in reality, this commandment is, at its fullest, a gracious invitation from God to trust in God's provision and sustenance. Consider the context in which Israel received this command. And I imagine they didn't see a ton of grace in it either. They've just been brought out of slavery, they're in the wilderness, and don't really have much, so they're probably unsure about the command. After years of having their time, energy, and welfare stolen by Egypt, they're probably happy to not have others steal from them, but might be a little unsure about the whole generosity thing. But they are God's people, brought out of Egypt through the waters of the Red Sea and delivered and are now called to respond to God's gracious deliverance with this law. And we are God's people, brought through the waters of baptism and delivered, and called to respond to God's gracious deliverance with this law. But not merely to be told what to do or what not to do, but we are, as God's covenant people, invited to trust Because being generous, being willing to give of ourselves to help others and to trust others to provide is an act of trust in God. Whether we are in the position of the poor where we may want to steal in order to provide for ourselves or our families, or in the position where we are called to give of our money, our time, and ourselves, even if it's not 100% what we might want to do, we are called to trust to trust that in both cases God provides and God sustains. We steal and we hoard because we don't trust. We steal and we hoard because we don't trust God will supply, that God will sustain. But in whatever way we answer this call, be it with our time, our voice, our vote, our money, we are invited to trust that God is in control Thus, in grateful response to God, we know that we can trust because God provides and God sustains. We can trust because we know that this command calls us and invites us to be generous, which is one of the attributes of God, generosity. And we see this attribute of God all throughout Scripture as God generously creates in creation. He generously calls a people in Israel and saves them from Egypt. We see this as God provides again and again. We see this most prominently in God generously sending Christ, God's only Son, into the world to save us. 
we see this in God's generous extension of grace to us. We see this in how God continues to sustain God's people today just as he sustained Israel in the wilderness. And one of the truest ways that we know that God sustains, we who are God's covenant people through baptism, is at this table where God meets us and sustains us, where we remember the generous gift that Christ gave on the cross and we are united to Christ and sustained by Christ to live our lives of generosity that God generously calls us to. So brothers and sisters in Christ, let us come to this table of generosity where Christ by the Spirit generously meets us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.